pray for our time. Father, I thank you again for today. And Father, just for this new season, Lord, do pray for our time together today, God. I pray that we would just block out things that would, might come to distract us, Father, and that we would focus and fix our eyes upon you and you alone. I pray, Father, that hearts would be good soil today, Father, and whatever that we would receive, we would respond quickly with action and with repentance. We would be encouraged, Father. We would go and we would be able to encourage and bless others. Thank you just for your servant bringing the word today that you would strengthen him, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day, and thank you for the opportunity to gather to hear your word, Father. Thank you, God, that your word says that your word goes forth and it doesn't return void. Pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear today. I pray, O oh God, that our hearts would be of good soil to receive, and Father, it would take root to produce lasting fruit in our lives. Thank you, O oh God, that we can turn our eyes unto you, Father. God, that we can find hope in Christ and that hope in Christ will never disappoint us. So wherever we may find ourselves today, O oh God, the circumstances that may be weighing down on us, I pray, O oh God, that we would put them aside, God. Father, that we would throw off the sin that so easily entangles us, God, and that we would pursue righteousness, Lord. Father, we recognize that in and of ourselves, God, we could do nothing apart from you. So strengthen us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis. Good morning. Genesis chapter 41, verse 17 is where we're heading. We're picking back up, and we're looking at the life of Joseph. We left off with Joseph being brought to Pharaoh because Pharaoh was having dreams. And no one else in the land could interpret them for Pharaoh. Remember, Joseph has been in prison for some time now. In fact, we've recognized that Joseph's life and the, the circumstances of his life, if you would, were not brought on by his own hands. There's choices and decisions that we make that we actually create our chaos. But in Joseph's life, we see that the chaos was brought on to his life by others' decisions. Joseph was a righteous man. And even though others affected his life by their choices and their decisions, he did not lose hope. He did not allow what happened to him to define him. No, he kept pursuing God, choosing to do what is right. And that's what I hope to encourage us today, that we will continue to choose to do what is right. The past couple of weeks, we've talked about living righteously living and what it looks like as a christian and as a fellowship to live right with god and that we know that it's vital that righteousness is a part of us because christ has given us that we are now in right standing with god all because of what jesus did there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can work towards being right no it's that humble submitted life that has accepted christ that gives us the ability to walk in the Spirit and not according to the flesh. To choose to do what is right when a world around us is telling us to do what is wrong. The world around us is, is offering us things that feel right to us, but in reality they're wrong. When we know that the enemy, the devil, will love nothing more than to trip us up, 
to keep us enslaved to the flesh because we know that the flesh only knows how to do one thing and that is to die. But when we come to Christ, when we see our need for a great Savior, when we see that this free gift of salvation, this love that none other can offer is given to us freely because we remember as we're studying through the Bible that God from the beginning is looking to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God, that they would live for him. Last week, I'm going to encourage you, if you haven't gone back and looked at the notes or listened to the message, to take some time to sit down and listen to it. The, the letter to the church in 1 John is, is an important letter for us today in the church because the church today is being bombarded with false teaching. People are claiming to know Christ, but they don't know him. First John gives us this understanding of that there's only two roads, the light and the darkness. You can't be of both because God cannot be of the darkness. Cannot be of the darkness. And we kept hearing over and over and over, if you think that you're of God and in God, but you continue to bear the fruit of darkness, you're a liar. You're lying to yourself. Over and over, he's reminding the church, remember who he is, remember who you are, remember how you should be living now. There is a way in which we are called to live. And as Christians, we're called to live righteously with rightness, with God, all because of Christ, with choosing to do the right thing to honor God, to allow Him to have the fullness of our life because we of ourselves, we died to ourselves when we came to Christ. We're born again of the new nature. All things are made new. All things, all the desires, everything that's within us that goes against His truth, we've nailed it to the cross. If we're truly saved, if we truly come to Christ, we are a new creation. We're not seeking the things of this earth. And so when we look at Joseph's life and we go, Joseph, come on, man. And, and we want him to, to trip up. We want him to, if we just want to see him get angry and act ugly and, and do things wrong just because you have a right, Joseph, because look what people have done to you. I love the example of Joseph because he's just man. He could have made the choices to get angry, to get bitter, to have unforgiveness in his heart, to turn from God, to look at the world as being this cruel, dark place. But no matter what has happened to him, he kept his head up. He kept serving. He kept honoring God with his life. He kept going the extra mile. He didn't give up. So when we want to say, no, but, you know, that it's hard, it's hard. No, reality is, is it isn't hard. No matter what circumstances you're facing, even if the things aren't done by your own hands, no matter what circumstances you're facing, and even if they are done by your own hands, no matter what circumstances you're facing, you can live right. Because what defines you as a believer is Christ. Is God Almighty. Joseph is being brought to Pharaoh. And we pick up in verse 17. What chapter? Chapter 41. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dream. 
In my dream, he said, I was standing on the bank of the Nile River, and I saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and began grazing in the marsh grass. But then I saw seven sick-looking cows, scrawny and thin, come up after them. I've seen such, I've never seen such sorrow-looking animals in the, all the land of Egypt. These thin, scrawny cows ate the seven fat cows. But afterward, you wouldn't have known it, for they were still thin and scrawny as before. Then I woke up. Then I fell asleep again, and I had another dream. This time, I saw seven heads of grain, full and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were blighted, shriveled, and withered by the east wind. And the shriveled heads swallowed the seven healthy heads. I told these dreams to the magicians, but no one could tell me what they mean. Remember, he's been disturbed by these dreams that he's having. He brought in his sorcerers, he's brought in his magicians, in hopes that they would give him insight to these dreams. And if you remember when Joseph was brought to Pharaoh in verse 16, he says here, Joseph, it is beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph didn't take it upon himself as if he was the one going to interpret it. Joseph knew who he served, who was the greater one, who would be able to interpret what these dreams mean. He spoke, and he gave credit to God. You want to know what these dreams mean? Then turn to God. And we've talked about this before. Pharaoh is going to recognize that God is speaking through Joseph. Pharaoh is going to recognize God is bringing forth what God wants to bring forth, but Pharaoh will never turn to God. Pharaoh will never serve God because Pharaoh himself thinks he's God. And we've seen it as we're studying through the Old Testament and as, as we're continuing to study through the Old Testament that these other nations, these other leaders, they will recognize the God of Israel. They will even say that he is the true God, but they will not serve him. And so it is today. There's a lot of people who, were rec who will recognize that he's God, but they will not serve him. And how sad. How sad. That they will name him, they will recognize him, but they will not serve him. See, we need to be people who are serving Christ. We need to be people who are living the life because ultimately in the end, in the end, for eternity, you're either with him or you're separated from him. Not because he hasn't made every way possible to bring you in. No, it's because you've refused him. And how sad. So we see here now that these dreams now have been revealed to Joseph. And so Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. 
the seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it. For God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterward, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of good years or even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Joseph is talking to Pharaoh. Joseph is telling this man who is very puffed up and prideful, who is the great leader, who, who thinks he's God himself, This is what's about to happen. God has given you insight to what's about to come upon your land. See, God speaks to the wicked. God will speak to those who even aren't, if you would, his own. God will bring about what he has purposed and what he has planned, all to bring about the revelation of who God is. God's purpose, God's plan. Don't forget, many years ago, God spoke to Joseph in dreams. God spoke how one day his family will come and bow down before him. And that's what caused all the chaos among the brothers to hate him, to throw him in the well, to sell him into slavery. These dreams, that Joseph was an interpreter of dreams, but in the interpretation of it, he always pointed back to God because God was the one that gave Joseph this incredible, this gift of interpretation. And so he's standing before Pharaoh and he's saying, this is what is about to come. And did you hear it? This famine will be so severe that it'll wipe away everything that you once stood for. God brought it. God brought it. God is in the midst of the things that are going on worldwide. Worldwide. And I know sometimes people don't like to hear that. People don't like to see that. People don't want to recognize it. Because as long as we can keep God out of it, then we don't have to turn to him. We can just write it off as anything and everything else. But it's God who's bringing about his purpose. And ultimately, what we know is the church, the truth that's been revealed to us, the hope that we have is the return of Christ. And we know that as the days are approaching to his return, that this earth is going to shake, this earth is going to endure. But we have the hope. That's why as Christians, we need to be out there. We need to be bearers of light. We need to be bearers of hope. We need to be telling the message. And in that message, we don't water it down in hopes to make people feel comfortable. No, people need to feel shaken. Because it's in that hopelessness that they can turn to Christ. It's in that hopelessness that Christ can move. The Holy Spirit can bring truth and comfort. 
Because we're talking about that people can be here today and gone tomorrow. We can talk about our comforts that are here today can be gone tomorrow. And God still is in the midst of it. God was in the midst of the hurricanes. God was in the midst of the the, um, earthquakes. God has been in the midst of all the craziness that's going on around the world because he's bringing about his purpose. And God is bringing this years of prosperity for Egypt, and then he's going to bring these years of severe famine. But they're all meant to bring about what God has purposed and planned. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Again, this is a common man speaking to her Pharaoh. This is a common man who's anointed of God to speak to Pharaoh. And you recognize that Pharaoh is not getting upset about this. Pharaoh is listening. Joseph, a common man, a man who was just brought out of prison to stand before Pharaoh, is now looking at Pharaoh and basically saying, you're not the man, Pharaoh. You will not be able to lead during this time. Because listen to what he said to Pharaoh. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And yet Pharaoh could have struck Joseph dead for such a great insult. He insulted, if you would, Pharaoh. Not purposely, but reality is, Pharaoh, you're not the leader you think you are. You will not get your people through this. Only God can do it. And so understanding this, you need to find someone who is able to lead with wisdom. Then Pharaoh, listen to this, he goes on. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it into Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way, there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Joseph's suggestions are well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled, listen to this, with the Spirit of God? These are ungodly people. These are the wicked people of Egypt. Nowhere near God, nowhere looking for God, nowhere wanting God. But yet, listen to what they say here. Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? They recognize God's Spirit upon Joseph. And again, they won't turn to God. They will continue to go about their ways, but yet they will recognize God. And what, how sad that is. It's no different today. Just knowing God is not going to get you in, if you would, to the, to the eternity with God. You can even recognize the things of God, but it's not till you bow your knee and humble yourself and receive such great salvation that Jesus Christ extends, that he becomes the Lord of your life, that you truly are engrafted into his kingdom. Pharaoh and his officials, they recognize the spirit of God, but they will not be engrafted into God's kingdom. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take up orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went and commanded, and the command was shouted, Kneel down! So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to him, I am Pharaoh. But no one will lift a hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt without your approval. This is Joseph, you all. This is Joseph who's had to endure. His brothers sold him into slavery. They hated him. They first threw him in the hole and hoped that he would die. This is Joseph who then, when he was sold into slavery, began to serve in Potiphar's house and served diligently, didn't complain about the circumstances, didn't mumble, didn't fault find, didn't have unforgiveness or hatred in his heart. No, he didn't. He, he just served. He, he lived right. And then Potiphar's wife accused him of rape. Because he wouldn't sleep with her. Remember? She kept enticing him. Come sleep with me. Because Joseph was a good looking man. A well built man. And she wanted him. And do you remember he said, I can't, I can't do this. He, he didn't have to give in to the lust of the flesh. He could have. But he chose not to. He chose to live Right. He could have slept with her and no one would have known. He could have kept sleeping with her and no one would have known. But he chose to do what was right. And in doing so, she accused him of raping him and he was thrown into prison. And then he spent all those years in prison. And now we see him at the appointed time what God has purposed for him and Joseph's of life will come to pass. Going back to what I was saying earlier about living right. Do you know what hinders God's plan for our life? Do you know what keeps us from fulfilling what God has for us? Us choosing to go and do things apart from God. Us choosing to react in our flesh, our desires, and everything else. Again, Joseph was just a common man. And yet he loved God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his body, with all of his strength. He loved God. He honored God with the way that he lived. Living a godly life shouldn't be so far from us. We shouldn't, we shouldn't look at it and say, there's no way I can get there. When Christ himself has come. When Christ himself has given us his spirit to live honor him and just at the right time God will bring about what God has purposed in our life if we would just honor God 
We can't continue to say we're of God. Remember last week's message? We can't continue to say we're of God and not have fruit that brings forth that truth in our lives. Because the Bible says we're liars. We're of the darkness. We're the children of the devil. No, it's, it's the life bearing that, that brings forth good fruit that God will honor in the right season. That's why we don't give up. That's why when things get hard in a Christian's life, we know trials are going to come, but, but they're there to produce something within us. Perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. We must grow, we must mature as Christians, because what are we giving off? Joseph maintained a God-fearing life in the midst of craziness, but at the right time, God has appointed him, and now he's in charge of Egypt. God. Now he's humbled himself, not only before God, but also he humbled himself before leadership that he didn't even agree with. But he humbled himself enough to know that I'm just to serve. And that's why I want to encourage us. How's your service? How are you serving others? How are you being Christ-like to others? Serving them and loving them. No matter what you may have against them, it's not about that. It's about Christ in us and serving and loving others. Joseph now is put in charge. Wherever he goes, they're telling people to kneel down. He still doesn't allow it to get to his head. He still doesn't become puffed up and prideful or arrogant. No, he's remaining humbled because there's work to be done. There's a famine coming and people are going to die. We have seven years to prepare. And he was going to organize all of this so that people would be able to survive what's about to come. And the same with our generation. When each and every day crazy stories are coming out, we're expecting the worst at any moment. How are we preparing? Are you preparing your hearts first and foremost? Because if we look at the life of Joseph, we can learn that. It starts with preparing your heart before God. God, how will you use me in this time, in this day, and in this generation? When there's so much deception creeping along the land, when there's so many things that are shaking and tearing at the seams, your word says that as a Christian that I've been engrafted into a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that there is a purpose for me here on this earth. So how am I to fulfill it? First, prepare your heart. And then from there, be ready to serve at any moment's notice. Gather, encourage, edify, love. That's ultimately what Christ came to do. He is our example. And here's Joseph being in, in put in charge to prepare for what's about to hit the earth in his time. And I said earlier, and I said before, it's no different than the church today in our world and in our times that we are to prepare and that we're to point others to Jesus. We're not to get caught up in the chaos, but we're just to recognize all this is to come. And in so coming, it even brings us closer to his return. So how are we preparing? Then Joseph, then Pharaoh gave Joseph a new Egyptian name. 
Zaphrenephania. Do you know what that means? Listen to this. It means God speaks and God lives. What? This is Pharaoh, you all. I can't say it enough. This is a man who thinks he's God. And he, re he refuses to bow his knee to the one and only God. But he'll recognize him. And not only will he recognize him, he'll recognize his servant. And I'm going to give you a new name. And that new name is always going to remind me that God speaks and God lives. And yet, Pharaoh will never come to God. Sad. He also gave him a wife whose name was Athea. She was the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of Om. So Joseph took charge of the entire land of Egypt. He was 30 years old when he began serving in the court of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And when Joseph left Pharaoh's presence, he inspected the entire land of Egypt. As predicted for seven years, the land pr produced bumper crops. During those years, Joseph gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain for the surrounding fields and the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. Finally, he stopped keeping record because there was too much to measure. During this time, before the first of the, before the first famine years, two sons were born to Joseph and his wife. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. He said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land, looking, I love this, of my grief. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had predicted, the famine also struck all the surrounding countries. But throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. Chapter 42, we're going to read to verse 17. When Jacob... Now we're getting back to Joseph's family. Heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at one another? I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise we will die. So Joseph's ten older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them. So fear, I'm sorry, for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived... They bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Mm -hmm. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? 
he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied, we've come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. And he remembered the dreams he had about them many years before. He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my lord, they exclaimed. Your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, they are actually, there are actually 12 of us. We are servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now, and one of our brothers is no longer with us. But Joseph insisted. As I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I know you are all spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. This is not Joseph acting bitter, you all. This is Joseph about to reunite with his family. His brothers do not recognize him. Joseph is looking upon his brothers, the very ones who did him wrong. But there's a purpose behind what Joseph is doing. Joseph is about reconciliation. Joseph is about bringing the family back together. Joseph is about honoring God. And so it's not the appropriate time now for Joseph to reveal himself to his brothers. But he's working it out to the time that he will bring forth his revelation to his brothers. So his brothers are going to have to endure a little bit of uncomfortableness. But in the end, it's a beautiful story about God's reconciliation. Remember, Joseph is an honorable man. He's a man in right standing with God. He's a man that longs to see God's purpose come about in his generation. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. And again, we're in our study of walking through the Bible. We're skipping around from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And then we're heading to the book of Psalm and ending in the book of Proverbs. But Matthew chapter 13. Verse 24 through 46. Last time we met, it was Jesus' teaching about the farmer sowing the seeds. Jesus was bringing an understanding about the soul of the heart. And now Jesus is still teaching in parables. We pick up here. Here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. 
the farmers worked, I'm sorry, the farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where do they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. Jesus, you all. Remember, he came. And his messages about the, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Remember he came, and even before he came, remember John the Baptist prepared the way. Talking about the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn from your sins and turn to God. Turn to, from your flesh and turn to God. Jesus' message was the same. The kingdom of God. That's what he taught about. That's what he came to, to reveal, the need for the Savior. He is the Savior of, of the whole world. He is the Lamb of God. He lays his life down so that men and women will be drawn to him, that people will be saved and live for eternity in, in God's kingdom. This is who Jesus is. He didn't come to play games. He's not a weak-willed man just and, 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 and just loving and just giving of himself. No. He is, a, he is God himself who not only loves, but also reveals his wrath. And we've talked about it here before. Wherever you see his wrath, you see his love. Wherever you see his love, you see his wrath because he is both. And I know that in this generation, we like to water him down. We like to, to, to make him who we want him to be, and so then we can follow him. But that's never how Jesus is. That's not who he came to portray. In fact, Jesus is really honest about who he is. He's really honest about who his followers would be. He's really honest about the enemy. And here he's telling this parable of the farmer that sows the seed but during the evening the enemy comes and sows right along it and so now we have the wheat and we have the tares or the weeds growing together here is another illustration Jesus used the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field it is the smallest of seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast and three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God has spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Do you remember when Jesus was before Pilate? And Jesus tells him, my kingdom is not of this world. Like Jesus, you all. 
He's come to reveal himself. He's come to reveal his kingdom. When you study, and as what well, I'm hoping as we're studying, but when you study the word of God from beginning to end, you see this incredible understanding of God's kingdom. You see this incredible understanding of who God is and why Jesus had to come. You understand from the beginning of the garden till the end of Revelation when he returns, the whole concept of Christ's love, but ultimately fulfilling his kingdom, purpose and plan. It's good news for those whose eyes have been opened and ears that can hear. It's good news. He's speaking in parables. There will be those who will understand. There will be those who don't. And so when he enters in, <clears throat> then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. And Jesus replied, the son of man, Jesus referring to himself, is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world. The good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. Did we hear that? There will be those who will be people of the God's kingdom, and there will be those who will be people of evil. Because they will not turn to God. They will continue to go their own way. <coughs> the weeds are people who belong to the evil one. Do you remember when he stands before the Pharisees and the Sadducees? These religious men of the day who should be leading people to Jesus and, and, and bringing people to God. Instead, they burden God's people. And Jesus kept telling them, you're the children of the devil. You're hindering what God wants to do because of your religious ways. Do you remember when Jesus had a thousands upon thousands of people following him? And then finally, when it's time for him to really start teaching who he is and what he came to do, he says, I'm the bread of life. Eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. He reveals to them who he is and how they need to live now. And do you remember what the masses said? This is too hard for us to understand. And they went back. Here they were following Jesus for some time, hearing him teach, seeing his miracles, and yet when the reality came to them that this life in Christ is not about your life, it's about his life, it's about following him, it's about honoring him, no, it's too hard. I don't want Jesus. And they went back to live however they wanted to live. They went back to their old ways living unrighteously. Remember, I've always told you this. If I was writing the Bible, that's where I would write, Jesus wept. Because I can't even imagine thousands of people turning from him, going back. It also doesn't say Jesus ran before them and said, okay, okay, I'll dumb down my message and make it easy for you if you would only stay with me. No, he stood there and watched them 
turn back to their own life. And he says in his word that he knows the heart of man. He knows those who will come to him, and he knows those who are just pretending and will never be a part of him. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. God, have mercy. He looked at the 12 that remained. Do you remember what he said to the 12? Are you going to? Are you going to? And the 12 said, after Peter, they all came together and they all looked. And Peter spoke for them and said, where else can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. What's there to go back to? See, you're either, you're either living for the temporalness of life or you're living for the eternal things of his kingdom. You choose. You choose. You have a choice. Jesus says to each one of us today, are you going to? Are you going to be just like the rest of the religious people? Are you going to be just like the worldly people? Or are you going to follow me? You choose. He loves you enough to say, however you want to live. But if you choose to follow me, be all in. Be all in. Be all in. If you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you will obey me. But if you don't, then go live how you want to live. Go do what you want to do. But realize what you're sowing to. Realize what you're giving to. You're giving yourself to the temporalness of life. And the temporalness of life is fading. But my kingdom will last forever. My kingdom will last forever. He goes on, he says, The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. With the way church is going nowadays, and everybody wants to strip hell away, oh, there's no hell, there's no devil, isn't it funny that Jesus speaks of him? Jesus knows who his enemy is. But he also knows that he's going to defeat the enemy. But unfortunately, a lot of people will not receive the victory that's in Christ because they rather continue to be led by their desires from within and follow the path of the evil one. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Did you see that word in verse 43? Then the righteous. How are we as Christians should be living righteously? We're going to inherit his kingdom. But until that day, we are to work diligently here in the temporalness of this earth, preparing for his return, living as kingdom-minded people, driven by kingdom-minded desires, not giving ourselves to the foolishness and the folly of this world because nothing good comes from it. Nothing good comes from it. 
And when I think, as I said earlier in prayer, when I think about the thousands that are going to church, no matter where church meets, when I think of people showing up and all they want to do is be entertained, give me something that makes me feel good and makes, look, makes God look good to me so that he can follow me. <laughs> and that's not Jesus' message at all. Jesus is very concerned that people are going to miss out on his kingdom because they're still led by their desires. So he came to lay his life down to set us free. Like he literally laid himself down. As I was sharing with you last week, to the point that he allowed himself to be stripped and beaten, were chunks of flesh being ripped out of him that he was beaten to the place that he was not even recognizable any longer. And he they was nailed to a cross, and he died a criminal's death. He endured the wrath so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could live in this world and in the eternity to come with him. Are we prepared? I've been challenged over the past few weeks and challenging you all. Remember this, the parable of the ten virgins? Five of them prepared, five didn't. And when, and when the bridegroom came, the five were like, oh, give us some of your oil. And they were like, oh, you go to town and get your own. There's a lot of people who just want to live off other people's faith. And that's not how you come to Christ. Like you need to prepare your heart. You need to prepare for, to meet your maker. So that you will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. This is the kingdom that he came to teach. This is the kingdom that he came to reveal to us. Or there will be those that will stand before him and say, depart from me, you worker of sin. I never knew you. And it's not that it makes him a harsh and a mean God. Because God gets a bad rap. Everyone blames God for everything. And how foolish is that? Because the problem is us, not God. The problem is us. The crap that's going on in this earth, the issues that are going on in life, it's us. It's sin. It's wickedness. It's vileness. But when you come to Christ, you are set free. No longer to live that way again, but to go a different direction. And yes, it can be lived, because if it's not, if you cannot live a righteous life, then Jesus is a liar. And what foolishness is this to believe then? No. He says, come. All who are thirsty, come. Drink of this living water. There is a way to live. There is a message to be preached. There's people to love and to serve. We recognize that man and flesh and blood is not our problem. We recognize that there are wickedness, rulers and authority in the, in, the, in the heavenly realms that are at work to destroy mankind. But the Bible says, greater is he that is in us. Jesus in us is greater than he that is at work in this world. And we have the victory that is in Christ. So verse... 43, the hope that you can take from this portion of scripture, then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. 
Anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. The kingdom of heaven, he goes on, is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in the field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. When the kingdom of God is revealed to you, you all, nothing else will satisfy you. And if you haven't experienced it, then that's my prayer for you today. That it would be revealed to you. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. For so many years, I wanted to abide and rob. I wanted to abide in this world. I want a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of me. Because surely the way I'm living is not bad, God. I made all the excuses and everything in my head to try to stay where I was. But it wasn't to build until the kingdom of God was revealed to me. It wasn't until I was signing for a business. It wasn't until I realized I was going to build this incredible house on the beach. It wasn't until I said, oh, this is how I'm going to be able to take care of my family. And then all of a sudden, God steps in and says, if you look at these temporal things, look at my kingdom. And decide. What is it that you want? You can have all that. But in the end, that's what you have. But this is what I'm willing to offer. This is what I freely give my kingdom. And it wasn't until I bowed my knee and said, okay, God, none of it, nothing else is worth anything. Nothing can compare to your kingdom. And I've shared with y'all before the peace that I felt when I got up off that floor. A man driven by such sick desires. A man who was so selfish. A man that was so consumed with everything and anything. The darkness, the level of darkness that I was in to be pulled out. I wouldn't have chosen it of myself. I enjoyed who I was. I like what I had. When God's kingdom, when Jesus himself is exposed to you, how are you responding? When each of you have heard the message over and over and over and over again, how are you responding day in and day out? Because Christ is for you. He's not against you. He doesn't expect you to clean yourself up. He just expects you to come, receive his love. You're never going to be loved. You're never going to be fulfilled until you've had the fullness of Christ. This is his message. This is who he is. This is why he came. Jesus, you all. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the one. He loves you so much that he's the one that brings you to himself. It's the Holy Spirit that draws you to him, to his truth. And it's the truth that sets you free. This price, this, this, this kingdom of great value. Nothing can compare to it, you all. Nothing. Go to Psalm 18, 
verses 1 through 15. Psalm 18. Oh, listen to these words that the psalmist penned. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock to whom I find protection. <clears throat> he is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. In uncertain times, you all, what a beautiful psalm to go to. When I think of the people in Puerto Rico, when I think they went to bed, and they woke up, and life is totally different for them. Their comforts, everything they knew, everything they've known, everything about them has changed overnight. Change. Their lives are, have been impacted. When I think about the people in Mexico, when 300 and some odd people have died from an earthquake, when I think about all the craziness that's going on around the world, if you don't have Christ, if you don't have the hope in God, what on earth are you turning to to feel secure? <laughs> because the things of this earth will only give you just a moment of security. <laughs> they're here today, they're gone tomorrow. It is only God himself, Jesus, who brings such comfort and peace in times of chaos, this psalmist understood it. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. <clears throat> I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The graves wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountains shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke pure poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mountain mounted on mighty angelic beings. He flew, soaring on the winds of the wind. Wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dark rain clouds. Thick clouds shielded the brightness around him and rained down hail and burning coals. The Lord turned, I'm sorry, the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded amid the hail and the burning coals. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. His lightnings flashed. And they were greatly confused. Then at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, listen to this, the bottom of the sea could be seen, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. Did y'all see the pictures of what happened during the hurricanes? Mm -hmm. And even the secular media said this is a biblical Proportion. This, this is something that we can't even believe we are seeing. 
the ocean itself was sucked in and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. Wow. God heard from heaven the cries of his people and he comes and in coming he scatters his enemies and in scattering his enemies he reveals himself. Oh, that God would be revealed to us in this day and in this hour. Because he's on the move, you all. He's on the move. He's revealing himself. He is drawing people to himself. The word of God says the bottom of the sea could be seen and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. We're closing. Proverbs 4. Verse 1 through 6. Wisdom. Oh, how we need it. Verses 1 through 6, Proverbs 4. My children, listen when your father corrects you. And in a generation where there's nothing but rebellion running amok, when families are being torn apart, God help us. God help us. And may the children hear that they are to honor their parents. And when they're corrected, they are to respond in a way that honors them. He says, listen when your father corrects you. Pay attention and learn good judgment. For I am giving you good guidance. Don't turn away from my instructions. See, when parents correct, that's what you're to be instilling into your children. They're giving you the guidance that you need in order to remain on the path in which you should be going. And if parents aren't correcting that way, then God help them because they're hindering their children. They're turning them and pointing them in the wrong direction. They're giving them the right to themselves and could care less about them. When I hear of the mother that went to Germany and left all her kids here by, her, by themselves so that she can enjoy her vacation, I go, what? This is what's going on? It doesn't surprise me. We hear stories left and right, left and right, how children are forsaken, how they're abandoned, how the parents are so consumed of their lives they don't pour into their children. And how sad, because the Bible is very clear here. The structure of the family is so important. It's so important. So that the youth and the children can learn to live righteously. But you strip the family unit away. You strip parents really genuinely caring for their kids away then all you've left is the children to be open season for the flesh and for the enemy. He goes on, For I too was once my father's son, tenderly loved as my mother's only child. My father taught me, Take my words to heart, follow my commands, and you will live. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom. For she will protect you, love her, and she will guard you. Oh, that we would have wisdom, you all. 
Oh, that we would train up our children with wisdom and knowledge and correction so that ultimately in all our lives would honor God. I'm going to close this with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer. Jesus.